You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Seattle-based wealth management company, Empirical Wealth Management. My co-host is Ethan Broga, who is a Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Planning. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Good to see you. Good to be here. We've been, uh, we were out last week, both of us, I believe, and um, so this is, we're back here on yep. live. If you want to contact us during the program, please give, you feel free to give us a call at 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, or shoot us an email either during the program or out, outside of the program if you want to submit a question or a comment or a thought on a financial decision that you may be uh, encountering. You can do that at contact at empiradio.com. Contact at empiradio.com. And this show is designed to share with you prudent strategies on how to build and preserve your, your wealth, how to reach your financial objectives and accomplish your goals uh, along the way, and to do it making a lifetime of, of smart decisions. So our namesake, Empirical, is really a, uh, an illustration of the way that we view investment uh, concepts and ideas that there should be ample evidence that the approach that you're taking um, is the best possible one of one of a maybe a series of best possible decisions and not based entirely on an emotion or or a great sales pitch or any of that kind of stuff um, we really want to teach you or share with you ideas that you can use ongoing throughout your lifetime not just black box kind of right now act on this and then it's up to you to figure out how to get out of it and we've talked about Jim Cramer on the show here recently right, Ethan, right. and why you wouldn't want to take any of his financial advice at least I wouldn't recommend it and part of that is he makes very short-term one-off uh, financial recommendations with really no follow-up I mean, you call and ask him hey should I buy this stock and he says yes unless you can figure out how to call back later every single day and say well do you still feel the same even if he was actually right, which is very high likelihood he's not, um, how would you get the advice to sell? So you, you're really having to overcome multiple hurdles rather than an approach that says, "Hey, you don't you don't need to call me every day uh, because if you implement some of these concepts, they are good over the course of your lifetime." And as we come over come across new research and evidence, we want to share it with you and have you implement it in another portfolio. That's why clients hire us. It's not that they, they, they should never hire an advisor to predict unforeseen future events. Right. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit. We've talked about Facebook uh, on the last few programs we were here mm-hmm. and, and advising people that they shouldn't be loading up um, a great deal of their financial assets into one stock, any one stock, much less Facebook. And the IPO, Ethan, as you know, came out at $38. Yep. Um, dropped 11 percent, I think, on the first day. It's trading around 33 right now, but it's dipped down. Yep. And so, anyway, and the, the the there was uh, a demand. I know that um, 
there was more demand than people could be allocated for shares in the IPO, um, yet the stock went down. And I think that's very contrary to what many individual investors would have thought would happen. Sure, I think so too. Um, and I know you have a little study on that. I thought we could just talk about that a little bit. And uh, and But before we do, Ethan, I thought maybe you could share with why uh, listeners that are either financial advisors or individuals that are looking to improve their financial situation should give us a call Yeah. Um, separate from questions on the show. Sure. If you're an individual investor out there, uh, we've offered in the past and we'll continue to do so. Um, if you'd like us to have a, uh, to do a second opinion or, or help you give you a second opinion on your current portfolio, your current financial plan, your current tax situation, um, if you'd like us to get together and discuss that in some detail with you to come up with some customized ideas as to help how to help you improve your situation, uh, we'd happily do that. And you can reach us, as Ken mentioned earlier, at 866. Oh, hang on. That's our, our live line. We don't want that one. Yeah. If you want to give us a call uh, off the air, you can reach us at 206-923-3474 would be the, the best line to reach us. But we'd happily get together, discuss our situation, and, and come up with some unbiased recommendations, which I think would be um, very helpful. And, of course, if you're uh, an advisor out there in the industry looking to partner up with a very well-established firm that's created an infrastructure on how to help people make smart financial decisions consistently, allowing you time to help um, build your practice and build your business and serve your clients, uh, give us a call as well. number there is uh, 206-923-3474. That's our office number here in Seattle. Well, there you have it, Ethan. I thought uh, in the title of the show we were doing today, um, I think we posted was what's in store for the markets in the future. And um, I'd like to, to talk about that. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to share an article that uh, our director of research, Eric, layer forwarded over to me um, off of a uh, OregonLive.com. And it's called Biased Financial Advice is Shockingly Common, But Investors Don't Take the Unbiased Stop. I thought we could kind of click through this, read through this, and then I talk think it about great. it. All right, yeah. let's do it. So it's by Brent Hunsberger in the Oregonian, and uh, it was published here on May 20th, Sunday. Uh, in recent decades, research has shown what Wall Street's known all along. We are hazards to our own financial health. We overestimate our abilities or chase the hottest trend. We fall prey to inaction, procrastination, and information overload. Losses hurt a lot more than gains soothe. Now, a flurry of research has emerged. Here comes some of that empirical research, Ethan, that we love so much. <laughs> In the U.S. And, <clears throat> and Europe, looking at whether financial advisors can help us overcome these pitfalls. The results are not encouraging. So I'm just going to pause there for a sec. It's one of the exciting things about what we do here is that we that we realize there is so much work to be done as advisors, so much that we can do to change how the public, um, how each of us individually are handing our handling our financial decisions. And while it's not always easy, because I think where it would be far easier to take the general Wall Street approach, which is let's study and understand every possible. <clears throat> weakness that we have as individuals or all of our biases and sell products into those weaknesses. Right. So again, I'm speaking out of the article here. This is my opinion and view. Um, it's just interesting because I think for me at the point when everybody knows how to invest in, in financial plan and do it very well, um, there won't be much of a challenge left. 
we've got so much of a challenge right now. We can, it's, it's an enormous challenge. We read the statistics about how, how well people are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and we see it every day. All right. Let me get back into this. Okay. Advisors who get paid for products, they, they sell, uh, they sell the products that they sell. I'm sorry. Advisors who get paid for the products they, they sell tend to harm clients, portfolios. Two studies suggest these advisors appear to make our biases worse. Unbiased financial advice exists, but investors who need it most don't seek it, a third study shows. Investors who do rarely follow it, and those biased, uh, uh, and those who do follow it <clears throat> need the advice the least. <laughs> this is wild. That's not uh, good. I'm not sure what to say about all this other than it's time we all woke up. Regulators, employers, and advisors can do more to protect our savings from biased money managers. But a whole lot of our success hinges on us. How bad is general financial advice? Fairly bad and widely available. <laughs> According to a study published in March by the National Bureau of Economic Research, I've gotten a couple of their studies as well. That's where I got the retirement statistics on oh, I see. how many people have actually done some planning and, and some of those uh, statistics. Interesting. In the study, researchers from Harvard University and MIT sent secret shoppers to nearly 300 financial professionals around Boston. These trained financial auditors pretended to seek help improving their retirement portfolios. Some of the mostly female shoppers told the advisors they wanted to invest in the best-performing funds. Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> yes, it does. Others walked in with one-third of their investments in their own employer's stock. Another no-no. A third group already held a portfolio of well-diversified, low-cost index funds, which research consistently shows to be the best way for the average consumers to save for retirement. The study doesn't reveal where the advisors were employed other than to say banks, retail investment firms, and independent shops. Most, which is pretty much everybody then. Yeah. Most were paid on commissioned, uh, commission based on the fees and volumes they generate. All right. Initially, many advisors praised the shoppers' portfolios, possibly buttering them up. <laughs> when they made recommendations, they favored funds with higher fees and commissions. In only 21 cases, about 7.5% of the time did the advisors suggest index funds. Worse, 85% of the shoppers with efficient, low-cost, passively managed investments were discouraged by the advisor from continuing with that strategy. Most steered into higher-cost, actively managed funds. This was particularly true if the client was wealthy, where the fee income that would be generated for the firm would be higher. Cha-ching. Where's my sound effect? we got to get on top of that, Ethan. It's um, probably a good idea. Our, our evidence suggests that advisors... Our evidence suggests that advisors' self-interest plays an important role in providing advice that is not in the best interest of their clients. 
the authors wrote, adding <clears throat> that the market for advice works very imperfectly. Advised clients had lower returns. Let's talk about this. A 2009 study of German advisors found similar results. Researchers from Goethe University got access to the performance of 37,000 investment accounts at a commercial bank and a brokerage. They compared the results of investors who made their choices with those who relied on advisors. Advised clients had a significantly lower annual returns, 8% versus 13 for those who invested on their own. They also owned riskier investments, and they traded more often, which generates more income for advisors and their employers, but lower overall returns. Our findings imply that many financial advisors end up collecting more in fees and commissions than any monetary value they add to the account, the authors wrote. Surprisingly, those who retired, uh, who relied on advisors, were more likely to be richer, older, more experienced, self-employed, female investors rather than poorer, younger, inexperienced, and male ones. That led authors to liken these advisors to babysitters. Babysitters, they said, are hired by well-to-do parents to perform a service parents can do better. They charge for it, but a child's achievement is not boosted by babysitters. The investors, authors concluded, were experienced but unattentive and failed to effectively monitor advisors and the outcome of their activities. It's buyer beware, right? If we just seek out financial advisors or planners who take no commissions or turn a nanny cam on those who do, we'd be able to retire early. Unfortunately, many of us seem both ignorant of the conflicts or eager to peer past them. Remember those mystery Harvard-MIT shoppers? They expressed willingness to go back with their own money to nearly 70% of the advisors they visited, researchers found. Really? Mm-hmm. That blows my mind a little bit. Does that blow your mind? So the people in the study said, hey, you know what? I know it wasn't the best thing for me personally, but right. I'm going to go back and do it. Yeah. That is crazy. We got, we got uh, yeah, there's a little more here. Okay. And I think we'll... We'll be able to get through the story and then come back and talk about it. All right, let's do lots it. of stuff in here. Holy mackerel. Clarify into our views. I believe everybody should have professional advice. It's the manner, the, the way that we're doing it is probably in the bottom five. There's only five or 10% of advisors out there that do it the way that you and I want to do it. Right. All right. Free unbiased advice has few takers. And if investors aren't ignoring what they see, they seem tone deaf to unbiased advice if they seek it at all. Don't believe me, get a load of this study published in January in Oxford's University's The Review of Financial Studies. Researchers worked with one of Germany's largest brokerages in 2009 to offer 8,200 customers free advice for their self-directed portfolios. A computer program would produce the recommendations with no commissions or other incentives tied to them. All it turns out could have used some help. The customer's returns on average significantly underperformed benchmark indexes. Still, only 385 customers took advantage of the free offer. Of those, 260 failed to follow the advice. The 125 who did take the advice didn't follow it very closely, and no one followed it perfectly. And the 385 who accepted the offer were less likely to need advice. They were older, wealthier, and more financially sophisticated than those who spurned it. Hmm. Had they followed the advice, their investments would have gained nearly 25% in the following six months, researchers found. Instead, 
Those who made some changes logged an average of 21%. Those who had made none gained only 18%, and those who didn't participate gained 17%. Perhaps as important, the recommended portfolios would have been much less volatile or risky. That's a characteristic that gives investors more peace of mind. When I asked this of the study's lead author, Upt Powell, and I cannot pronounce his Bhattacharya, an associate professor of finance at Indiana University, he spoke bluntly. I don't know that I can say anything positive. Bottom line, he said, the government's efforts to regulate biased advisors aren't enough. We need to better educate consumers, too. Rid them of their biases. Some of his colleagues in Germany are now researching the best way to get investors to follow good financial advice. Let's hope they come up with something. And until then, we we bucked Wall Street and examined our own behavior. What kind of advice are we getting? How do we know it's good? Are we willing to seek out and pay for unbiased advice? Will we follow it? Well, that's the uh, article. And I want to call him just to uh, thank him. I thought it was a great, great article or email him. Yeah. He's out there. And uh, yeah, Brent, I was hun- I'm going to we'll pull up those studies as well and put them on our website. And make them available, but I think there's a lot in there. I know we've got just a few min a minute here, Ethan. Before the break, yeah, before the breather time. All right. But uh, when we come back, I'd really like to just chit chat about this because I think it's one of those things that is the difference between the, what we're trying to do in terms of giving long-term financial advice, how you approach this decision-making process, versus what most of Wall Street does in the media, which is buy Facebook now, sell Facebook now, get out of stocks now get into bonds now get out of greece now get that is the stuff that perpetuates a a, that to me represents everything that's negative in in that article and the studies but Mm um i think we've got a few seconds here all right if i'm not mistaken um and the fact that it is very interesting and encouraging to know that many times we meet with people and we give them what we know to be sound advice. I mean, we are huge proponents. It's just complete coincidence that he talks about using a passively managed assets. Right. Um, when we come back, we can talk a little bit about that and why we're such a huge proponent of using passively managed assets in conjunction with professional unbiased advice. Right. We'll be right back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, here we are back with Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host, Ethan Broga, alongside uh, Ken Smith here, just discussing a, a recent article uh, by Brent Huntsberger out of the Oregonian. Really great article, Ken. Really great article. Yeah, thanks, um, Derek, for uh, shooting it in my way. Yeah, very nice of him. I, hadn't, uh, I don't peruse that paper very often, so I wouldn't have found it probably myself. But this is a really great article. Uh, I think we, we had read through the article right before the break, and we were just going to circle back around and, um, I think, talk talk a bit and kick around a few ideas that uh, came to us after reading the article. And I, I think it's, again, I know we, we want to talk about the future of markets, right? Yeah. Well, the catch on that with the future of investment markets is that they're unpredictable, as we said. Um, the Facebook, it should be, you know, time after time on the program here, we say, write down your thoughts before something happens and then review, you know, the accuracy of those thoughts. Well, most of us just ignore it. We come up with some idea, like, we think the Facebook is going to pop once once it comes out, right? right? Wait, geez, I got to get in the IPO, or I got to get it as soon as possible because it, it's likely to pop. And I and there's a frenzy, and it's on CNBC for literally 24 hours a day. <laughs> That's all they wanted to talk about, you know. Um, and all I mean, they 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 basically generate an entire show around Facebook. I noticed the day after they have you know usually they have the market indexes. I was in Phoenix visiting yeah. family. And uh, they not only had the market indexes, then they had a separate one that just tracked Facebook, which I thought was kind of funny um, because it was such a frenzy. Well, you know, if you were investing based on completely removing yourself from emotion and the day-to-day market stuff that we've seen doesn't work well, um, you, you wouldn't be worried about Facebook, right? Um, and but if if I was a broker, what would I be trying to sell or get new clients around if I had an allocation to Facebook? Yeah, I'd be saying, hey, I got some shares of Facebook, and I'd be and basically I'd be calling every the highest net worth possible person I could get a hold of to say, hey, I can get you in on the IPO. That's 
that's their thing, right? The underwriters and the whole thing, and then they allocate down to the brokers and then she gets um and but my point was sorry, Ethan, sometimes I get like four or five things all at once. It's uh, all right with me. Floating around in here. In this head. And uh <laughs> my point was though, how many of us now look back and would say, Hey geez, I was totally wrong about Facebook, right? Right. Our inclination is to completely delete the thoughts that we had about Facebook and almost sometimes to the point where we say, well, I knew it was going to go down. You know, that's why I didn't get it or even though we wanted to. And maybe the reason we didn't try to get it is because we didn't know we could or we were too lazy or whatever. But we'll come up with some reason and say, yeah, that's why I didn't buy it right now that it's down. Um, yeah, or, or you could have been in a situation where you, when thinking about what could happen with Facebook, you envision it going up or you envision it going down or you envision it staying exactly neutral. And then – in hindsight, you kind of select which one of those actually happened because that's obviously all the outcomes. And then, so you know, that's basically what I thought. I was probably I was inclined to think that before the fact. Right. But in reality, no, probably not. If you had to uh, write it down, like I said, and pick a position exactly, and, and actually pick, hey, yeah, this is what I would commit to this, um, and then come back to it. And, and say, geez, let's evaluate how well I am doing on my own making these decisions. Uh, if I follow the impulses or, or the hunches that I have, um, how well would I do? And actually taking the time to calculate out the returns. and everything. I, Virtually no one I've ever met has does that. Yeah, no Yet problem. most of us individually think we know what's going to happen. Yeah. We're very confident in spite of having no empirical track record of our of every – uh, decision that we would commit down in, in writing, um, or what we thought was going to happen. Um, so when something does happen that actually, uh, you think that you, you feel that you knew was coming, that's what really rises to the front of our minds, right? Geez, I know I must be a good investor because I knew the market was going to go down. A couple of weeks ago, I knew that, you know, we were having debt problems in Greece and all these things and now sure enough the market's down five or ten percent right um, it makes it seem very predictable it makes us feel like geez we should have done and not only that then I think it makes us seek out financial advisors and advice that caters to that need and that's how that kind of ties back into this right, right I think you're right about that if you look at the article in the studies the people that they were gravitating towards, if we if we looked at well what do we believe to be true what is um, what does the research bear out to be true about prudent investing in terms of managing risk giving you the greatest opportunity as an individual investor to achieve um, the best that market returns offer um, over your your time your investment time horizon if you looked at that the indexing approach the passively managed approach the low cost tax efficient diversified approach right would would be a far better strategy yet it was such a tiny amount of what was recommended um, by these biased advisors and again it doesn't matter where they're at a bank a broker firm or even an independent firm if they have the financial incentive to put you into higher cost products or products that generate any kind of revenue for them yeah um, to me that's a problem because at that point they're they they would they're more apt to ignore the research and say well that stuff doesn't work that's baloney you know um, somebody who's selling cigarettes and making a lot of money off of cigarettes is more inclined to tell you hey there's not as many health risks as somebody who doesn't 
in the medical profession who who does the research on it and is not in the business of making money. I mean, that's very obvious, right? Mm-hmm. But if we like smoking cigarettes, who would we who would we likely want to lean towards if we had a choice? Right. We're probably going to listen to the guy who says, "Hey, it's really not bad for you." I mean, that's just a bunch of malarkey or yeah or whatever. And that's how these you know the, these guys are. Um, yeah, there's a strong financial incentive to at times probably an impossible, you know, if, if, thing to resist in terms of the incentive to provide advice that may not be necessarily the very best advice. And, and if you, like you're saying, if you're the advisor in this situation, and you're you're going to make more money, you're going to have a bigger paycheck if you recommend option B versus option A. A lot of times, more often than not, you'd find that that's the case. You'd you'd give the advice that that pays you more money. Uh, over time i mean what do you think ethan why it's it's something that we struggle with we know the way that we structure our portfolios um historically is added it takes in the 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 research on what's actually worked but isn't even enhanced it beyond such that we believe it'll cover even the cost of us in addition to all the planning work that we do right um yet you know it people aren't necessarily flooding to us they're flooding to market timer guys yeah they're flooding to watch guys like jim kramer joe that i say is the worst thing for some well why is that i'm not exactly sure i think there's a couple i mean there's probably lots of reasons all right um um, you know in talking to to mike you know other advisor here at, at empirical i think a lot of people think that well those those studies that reference average returns you know index investors have, are just average, getting average returns. But people tend to think that they're not average. Like if you ask, for example, uh, 100 people in a room, hey, uh, who, who in here is a better than average driver? Well, 80% of the people would raise their hands, right? right? I think most people think they're better than average investors and therefore have the ability to to avoid the, the negative you know, returns by uh, in utilizing a strategy that they know probably isn't going to be uh, the best for them. You know what I mean? Everybody, everybody thinks they're yeah. better than average, so maybe that's part of the deal. I think other other thing is it's not working in their favor in terms of the discussions with a lot of a lot of times the folks at the, at the firms themselves. They can create a pretty good story or craft a pretty good story that is pretty convincing. And I think a lot of times that story, while it sounds pretty good, you know, fiction can be fun, isn't necessarily obviously the best thing. It doesn't lead to better investment results. Well, I, I think it's frustrating for me because what can we do? All right, so the article here in the end is to say what what can what government regulators are. Um, yeah, let's see here. It's this, the re, bottom line: the government's efforts to regulate biased advisors aren't enough. We need to be better educate consumers to in order to rid them of their biases. Uh, biases. Um, you know that's what we're trying to do with this program, right? But um, it, it's it's tough. It's frustrating to me. Um, you know, it's like if you look at the last year and you say, hey, a diversified index portfolio that was globally diversified and, and weighted towards some of the higher expected return asset classes, like say smaller value or them, it has, it, over the last very single year, it may have not done as well as, say, large U.S. stocks. Um, we all know, though, those of us who know the research, that one year is not enough time frame for any investment strategy to properly work. So, it if you know that, you know, and we've talked on the, on the last couple of weeks ago, I was talking about 
aligning your time frames correctly, right. um, you shouldn't feel the need to make changes simply because what is expected to happen, which is that sometimes a globally diversified portfolio will underperform one that's concentrated in any one market. Sure. You ex- not only shouldn't be surprised, you really should expect that to happen. Mm-hmm. Or an index fund. If you had an index fund and you said, well, geez, this year there were several managers who beat my index fund. That's no shocker and should never be any uh, impetus for you to change and re- get out of that index fund, right? Because if you actually know the bigger picture, you expect that to happen. Yes, exactly. Right. It's it's over a long period of time in which you will generate those superior returns. And anything in a shorter period of time, while those things do occur, while you know U.S. markets do better or worse than foreign markets and small does better than big at different times, that's, every year that, that's going to be a different result. You've probably seen this, the graphs that are the tables that uh, financial companies put together where it organizes all the different investments each year. Yeah. Which one's in the top this year and then which one's in the top next year. Sure. If you had a strategy of trying to rotate and always be in the one that was in the top, how incredibly difficult that would be. That's what most people, professional, active, traditional kind of managers do try to do, right? But over the long run, how, how successful they're, how, how able are we to predict in very short intervals, which manager will beat the index the very next year? Which country will do better than the rest of the world the very next year? Right. Um, it's, it's incredibly difficult, but yet because it happens each year, somebody does better than one asset does, but I, I think people are very tempted to want to find either an advisor or themselves believe that they can make these tweaks or adjustments to their portfolio outside of a long-term discipline plan. Um, they're managing in a very short period, you know, month to month, week to week, day to day. We're managing over decades, right? We're managing for success over decades. They're mm-hmm. managing it over day to day. And we're doing it with the odds stacked in our greatest favor of getting that success most of us are out there trying to do it with the odds stacked the greatest against us. Right. Um, and you see it in this research after research. What's mind-boggling here, Ethan, to me, is that people ignore it. <laughs> even the, like you said, even the people who were part of the experiment, after knowing that these guys were giving them bad advice, were inclined to go back with their own money. Went back with their own portfolio. <laughs> and it, they participated. Like these people were not, um, I presume the people that they, they chose for the study you know, had to be somewhat knowledgeable about what's going on here. They, they knew the, the reason behind the study, just wanted to find out. And, and that means they knew what type of investment advice going into it is best for them already before they received the advice. But yet they went against that, according to the study here, which is incredible to me. You go, you go back to the, <laughs> the folks that you knew were not doing right by you? I, I can't believe it. Really surprising. I think you know part of it, Ethan, for our kids at least – if to the degree that we can do something um, to change some of this, uh, clearly when as we've evolved, the financial the way we make financial decisions um, is not ideal, right? And even sure, perfect. You know, we talked about the the conference and we saw Daniel Kahneman, the guy that won the Nobel Prize, and got to hear him speak about some of the psychological biases and things that the way that we all make decisions. He said, "Yeah." 
I know I make these mistakes. You know, even after doing this research, I still make the same mistakes. The only difference is now I recognize when I'm making them. <laughs> right. And he said the real only hope then is that I, I can put some processes in knowing that I'm apt to make these mistakes or to fool myself, right, into believing something, um, is to try to put some processes in that, that catch me from making too big of mistakes, basically. You right. Know? If I know I'm inclined to be overconfident, if I know I'm inclined to take the advice of someone who tells me a, a fantasy story, right, um, and is going to overcharge me that, and, you know, and I'm going to get into an, a, a very biased situation, or I'm going to, because it, it suits my, scratches my emotional itch here, I'm going to throw all advisors in the bad category, and, and no matter how bad I do personally, I'm never going to try to get any unbiased help. Because for some reason, the unbiased help just doesn't 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 float people's boat. I guess I'm not sure. Um, not a lot of sizzle on that. I guess uh, I'm not sure. I, I think the only thing we can do for the younger people, at least, is to try to educate them early on um, about these things and try to get them to get their excitement somewhere else besides in the stock market. Man, if you weren't in what other area of life, would you not want? To follow unbiased advice, like if you're going to your doctor, you know if the doctor's being paid to sell certain types of pharmaceuticals, whether or not you need it, you're going in there because they provide unbiased advice. Hopefully, right? Well, what, and what if the pharmaceuticals, Ethan, the, the 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 worse the potential hazards and side effects were, the greater commission that the <laughs> the doctor got. Exactly. What if that was the case? That is exactly the case in our industry. The more dangerous the investment, the greater the chance you have of losing all your money seems a lot of times to be the ones in which the biggest commissions are paid or the highest management fees are charged. Right. That's a good It's odd, right? But would you would you do that? Would you be like, okay, well I know the doctor the the, the stuff he prescribes, the the greater the chance that I die or I have weird side effects or you know, sweaty palms or whatever. Whatever the outcome. <laughs> I I feel good about the advice I'm going to get walking right. out of there yeah, with of course the pres- not, right? list of prescriptions. <laughs> but yeah, that's how it feels like in the, in the finance industry. Uh, it's it's mind blowing. I think we got to take a break, Ethan. We'll we'll take our last break right. here, and we'll we'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. 
Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. This is Ken Smith, and uh, we were just talking about an article that uh, was published in the Oregonian called Biased Financial Advice is Shockingly Common, but Investors Don't Take the Unbiased Stuff. And uh, just very shocking, um, should be very shocking, I guess, to most people. Well, we've understood this, I guess, through our own personal experience for quite some time, that um, we were very excited when we evolved into understanding how markets work and building very diversified portfolios that help our clients get to where they need to go. The one thing they require is patience and discipline um, and a stick and faith in the process and the research and the science of this uh, in order for it to be successful. And I think the greatest thing, Ethan, I've talked about, after doing this for as long as I have now, the greatest risk to failure is not whether I own one particular manager versus another in the same category, one large cap stock picker versus another, although that is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the overall lack of, of investing as a lifetime pursuit and that it's a minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour, day-to-day, week-to-week kind of thing instead of an entire lifetime engagement. And to me, that's what gets people, you know, he talks about in the beginning here that we overestimate our abilities, we chase hot trends, we fall prey to inaction, procrastination, and then information overload. Yep. Because we're constantly being, you know, bombarded Bombarded. daily. And and it's very, if you allow it to enter into your investment process, very detrimental. And and because the entire part of it, and we've sent stuff out to clients last summer, about you know how the headlines are framed to be very dramatic and emo- you know, get you a good emotional rise out of you. Where hey, I need to be doing something. I got to be doing something different. Um, and time and time again, as the research gets print gets done and, and printed and published, they're the very wrong things to do. Right. You know, we're reading the same stuff, Ken. Um, I agree with you. So 
what can they do? Let's real quick say, well, what are we recommending that our listeners do? People do. Yeah, there are some simple things that, prospect. that yeah. I think are real, real critical. Just things that, if you're going to be successful, you have to have a few simple things <laughs> in place, and then the rest of it sort of is is uh, fine tuning, if you will, from my perspective. One of those things is being broadly diversified. Under no circumstances should you not be broadly diversified. That's rule number one for my, in my view. So if I own every stock in the market, is that broadly diversified? You're broadly diversified. So now what if the market's going to go down? Yep. Well, that's okay because it, it will sometimes. That's true. Okay. The next thing I think is you need to have the, uh, an allocation that's right given your circumstances, given your time frame and need and use for the money. So you should have a mix between safe assets like bonds and risky assets like stocks. That's correct for you. Okay. And uh, you, can, you can basically stick with in tough environments and good environments. Right? Uh, that's rule number two of my book anyway. And then number three, we kind of already talked about this, is just discipline with the first two things. If you're disciplined about executing a diversified portfolio that's got the proper allocation, the right mix of stocks and bonds for you, you're far more likely than, than your peers to, to get the success you want out of the portfolio. Those are That's really it. That's probably 75% of the game, you know, in my book anyway. Uh, beyond that, there are things obviously that you can do to add value, no question about that. Uh, but if you do those, those few simple things first, you'll, you'll get the maximum or at least a large portion of the value out there. So now, why should someone work with an advisor and then what, how do we differ or the advisors that we would recommend differ from the 95% in this study, right? Or it was, um, only 7.5% suggested investing the way that we do. Right. You know, I'm not, when I say being broadly diversified, there's lots of ways to be, be invested or be diversified. Do you, if you own just one index one, is that broadly diversified? Like if you own S&P 500, is that it? All, sh- all you should, should have in your portfolio? Um, well, probably not. I mean, there's lots of asset classes out there, all of which you, pretty much you can get exposure to through sort of passive uh, investment vehicles, ones that aren't actively picking what stocks to own uh, at any one time. They basically are targeted sort of uh, sector funds or index funds that target parts of the market and keep exposure constant to those areas. Um, also, understanding where returns come from, like you know, these things we discuss with our clients, um, and understand that risk and return are related with in and among the different securities in the portfolio. Uh, all those things are, are important as well. Um, but for most clients who don't work with advisors, uh, and again, I think most folks should probably, um, a lot of the benefit can be derived just out of those first few things that I mentioned. And us as advisors are, are adding value on top of that because of our deep understanding of the relationships between risk and return, uh, understanding where returns come from, and then also the planning that goes on uh, within the client relationship uh, on an annual basis as well. The interesting thing, Ethan, in our industry, and I, I was meeting with... Um, a mutual fund company was starting some uh, alter, you know, what they would call alternative, I guess, absolute return type of strategies. And um, when we got around to uh, what was the fee of these funds, it was it was three around three percent a year it was the annual management fee for the fund. Wow! Right, and um, and I, I could tell he was a little bit taken back by me suggesting that. When you look at our portfolios that we design for clients, the average expense is somewhere around 30.30, right? Yes. 30, three tenths of 1% of maybe 40 basis points or four tenths, uh, for a globally diversified portfolio. And then when you take whatever it is we're charging and you mix that in, um, that's still about half of what the Less cost of, of his fund would be, right? right. For, so that all in, price that someone pays to work with us and get 
these world-class investments um, in a very structured, organized, customized way is about half of what this fund was charging. And for me, the the interesting thing that I've noted since being young in this business originally, right, coming in and then now having all this experience, is the way that people perceive uh, the value in paying for advice, financial advice, particularly when it revolves around investing or the investments. Things like loaded mutual funds that charged 5 to 6% upfront sales charge to own the fund right and then charged on average more than one percent historically right for your average loaded fund um very few charge less than one percent right on top of it yeah on average probably about one and a half percent right owning that fund gives you virtually zero personalized financial advice on anything but the value and the cost going into that because if you held that fund for five years and you paid five or six percent load plus the your average is somewhere around two plus percent a year probably yeah if you did the math on that um, in addition to other very expensive investments uh, and it, it always kind of surprised me because I was telling this person I said well it's interesting because people have a hard time sometimes paying a, a when the fees are out in the open and they're up front and it's to be in an unbiased position right. If they don't know about it, you know, hey, I, I just if it's buried into the investments, a lot of times like, well, it doesn't bother me. Right. But if they know, and even if it's lower, right? Yeah. Even if the total cost is substantially lower than the structure they've got through a bank or a brokerage, I find sometimes it's hard for them to grasp and go, what? Wait a minute, you know, I'm going to pay what to get unbiased? Well, it's you know, you've done this exercise. Well, no, sure. I'm showing you it's actually much less. And you're currently paying. What you just don't see is that it doesn't come out in the form of you writing a check, right? right. Or it being because it's buried into the principal and the investment. Yes. Or it got taken out in some sales low charge or whatever it is. Right. But in reality, what I believe, if you're if you're and if I wasn't even in this business, I just walked away and I was and I am now the consumer on it. I think the money should go towards the majority of what I pay for the financial advice should be with the company and the individuals that are meeting with me face-to-face and designing and helping me manage my finances day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year, for decades. Not the person who's taking a large pool of money, throwing it into one bucket, say the mutual fund manager yeah. or in like a Ken Fisher's case where everybody kind of gets, I guess, basically the same portfolio, right? Right. And he just decides... I'm going to change the stocks today, so everybody loses, you know, gets out of that stock, and every. I don't really quite get how that part of the industry works and why that's worth the money that they claim it is, particularly when when we know on average they actually underperform and detract from the the return uh, that investors could have gotten otherwise. Right. Um, they get in the way of investors getting that return. To me, the one if there is one percent is very reasonable for someone to pay for unbiased financial advice, um, some version of that. Most of us and uh, that are independent, fee only, that don't do commission stuff, have a tiered schedule on top of it yeah. um, that goes down as you as you. And it's just interesting to me that that um, again, Ethan, that in the study it kind of reaffirms that this article that. That people are more likely to take bad advice and pay high fees for it than free, unbiased advice. Um, and it's just, that's something I want to change. 
yeah. I, I still can't. I still can't get my brain around as to why that is. Right. A lot of things to overcome for the individual investor out there, and it, it's 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 crazy to me that uh, people would pay more for biased advice. Not just pay more in terms of obviously the the, the less the, the lower returns, but also pay more costs upfront to get the lower. Well, returns. the biased advice. I think the real reason is the biased advice matches what most of our individual psychological traits are. Right. Conforms. The to reason why the advice the, the people that were having biased advisors got lower returns and the people who did it on their own, both parties did worse than what we do. Right. Yeah. With in the index, the passive investors do. Both groups, the guy that did it by himself and the guy that hired a biased type of what he's calling a biased advisor, got lower returns than, than an approach that's using more more passive structured approach to a low-cost um, structure. Well, I would think it's because when they go to the biased advisor, it's really the getting the advice or what they're doing if they were doing it on their own. But now the biased advisor is layering in those extra fees, and that's why they're getting the – you know what I mean? That's why I would I would think logically that the that the returns having those advisors is worse because they're just advisors doing what they would do otherwise. Right. I want to buy Facebook. Oh yeah, I can get your Facebook. Right. I want to buy this fund. Oh yeah, I'll get you that and fund. It, it probably conforms to their own idea how how investing should work, anyways. Right. If you go into a, a, an interaction with uh, a person who has the opposite view of you, it takes a lot of work and thought to convince you that maybe you're wrong. And that's not easy to do, to overcome that uh, emotionally very often. Uh, it said so. that most of the interactions were where the advisors um, applauded the investor's investment strategy. <laughs> right. When clearly those were designed, part of the study was to design very bad investment strategies. <laughs> right, exactly. To come into, um, it, there's no arguing that they weren't great strategies. Right. Yet, I think it was 75 plus percent or whatever yeah. of the advisors started with buttering them up by saying, hey, how great of an investment strategy yeah. you have. And now I'm probably uh, went something like, well, now I'm going to uh, what I'd like to do is, is supplement or implement or complement that uh, the good thing you've already got going. And the way we can do that is with some very expensive products. Right, exactly. Or we can you know, rotate you in and out of various stocks or IPOs. And the last few minutes, I think you had something, Ethan, about oh, yeah. Yeah, the IPO, the Facebook thing. I did, yeah. I, there was an article I came across. Um, it talks about the considering Facebook, the IPO. Um, I'll just kind of read the report, and we can comment on a couple things along the way here. Um, this is written prior to the, the offering price being established at, at thirty-eight dollars a share. It says here, if, if the Facebook IPO comes in at the widely reported target price of thirty-five dollars a share, those institutional investors will be will will be paying a whopping one. Are you ready for this? Yeah. One hundred and forty-three times the company's earnings per share. Based on its 211 net income, that's an that's an incredibly high price to earnings ratio, incredibly high. Uh, if the share price bumps up after the market after it opens, um, buyers might be paying closer to 200 times earnings, which of course it didn't actually bump up very much anyway, and, and currently is around uh, 34 dollars a share. So this is actually pretty accurate overall. Uh, still, 143 times earnings is amazing. To put that price difference in perspective, consider. Oh, hang on a second. Are we yeah, I think up that's here, it. Right? Well, we can finish that up next week, and uh, we'll right. get on. I'd like to throw in some financial planning. I got, stuff. I got one thing, just really quick. Okay. Here. All right, one thing. If this happens the way, the way that it's expected to, Facebook would be worth more than Starbucks, Dow Chemical, and Panasonic combined on its opening day. Incredible. Fully, <laughs> fully, I don't think that's true. <laughs> what is that? It's kind of crazy. That is crazy. I agree. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back next week in Empirical Investing Radio. Thank you. Okay.
We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week 